Welcome to episode 159 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded May 1st, 2022. My name is Ian. I'm a student preparedness and hobby farmer on Vancouver Island. Today I've been left in charge because due to the uh, terms of our separation agreement, Eric and I have decided that only one of us can be on the podcast at once. <laughs> so are you Ian or Alan today? Today, I'm, well, look at the makeup. Did they shave the head? <laughs> yeah, you look fantastic. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm Scott, a first responder from Ontario. I like learning things and I worry about our fragile infrastructure. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. Uh, hello, I'm Josh. I'm in southwestern Ontario. I'm a sport shooter, a very green hunter, a prepping daydreamer, amateur beekeeper, and wannabe ham radio operator. I took the same online uh, course as Jeff. I don't know what my excuse is for not having my license yet, but uh, you definitely beat me there, Jeff. <laughs> there is none, so all the haters who hate it on me, there's your next target. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come after him. Hello, everyone. My name is Amanda. I live in uh, southwestern Ontario as well. I am a amateur hobby lover, so uh, podcasting, sports shooter, beekeeper, and camper. Uh, love sharp objects and uh, love to learn how to make or do things on my own and enhance my skill set while still embracing my feminine side. Sounds good. <laughs> Want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? Buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook uh, and submit a, sorry, a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Dad joke time. We have some purified content for you this episode. <laughs> uh, we're going to start off with some uh, recent news, uh, update our personal preps, then we'll get on to the main topic, which is tonight, is water revisited. So news time. Um, I, at this time, uh, guys, at this point, I don't even know where to begin anymore because like, there's so much stuff going on on a weekly basis. How do you pare it down to one or two stories, right? It's like, yeah. Anyway, uh, you guys hear about uh, the gas getting cut off? Yes. To Bol or sorry, Poland and Bulgaria. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. So, fun, fun fact. So, I guess Russia threatened what last week that if they didn't start paying in rubles, they're going to cut off the gas. Everybody's like, nah, that won't happen. Sure enough, it did. So, the best part is that Poland obviously is the pipeline that provides Germany with gas as well. So, basically, by cutting off Poland, you're actually cutting off Germany as well, which is the industrial hub of Europe, has no natural gas. So, well, no more coming in anyway. So, they have, uh, they said their reserves are about 60% full. So I think they'll be fine for a few weeks yet, but then all of a sudden their, I guess, accumulators will run dry and then there's a problem there too. So fun couple of weeks up coming up ahead, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because there were, uh, I just read the other day, there were, now they, of course, they never named the countries, but they said there's, uh, there's four of the EU countries that apparently have agreed to pay for the uh, gas in the rubles that the Russians want. So they're, they're thinking maybe they went after Bulgaria and Poland because they're a bit smaller to see what the reaction is going to be from the whole EU and whether or not it scares them enough that they go Russia's way and sort of looks like that might be happening. So, Well, yeah, because I don't know if they can actually run a pipeline full of gas through Poland and still deliver to Germany without somebody tapping the lines in between. So it would be very interesting to see what happens. 
Well, I yeah. thought there was a pipeline that went under sea from yeah. Russia across, and it was the sec- the second one that got canceled, but I yeah. thought there was still one running. So Nord Stream 2 got canceled, or at least the deal fell through or whatever. I think Nord Stream 1 still runs, but I don't think it actually is enough to supply like continuously Germany and, and crew westbound uh, without having to do the augmentation through the overland pipelines. It's a small diameter, relatively. So anyway, that's why they need number two, I guess. But uh, yeah, anyways, other news. Uh, the Disinformation Governance Board has been formed in the States, which is, I didn't think 1984 was supposed to be an instruction manual, but hey, the Ministry of Truth exists now. So uh, the Department of Homeland Security decided to start up something called the Disinformation Governance Board, which whatever they feel is bad information, they will censor actively and pursue who is ever sending it out. Sounds like a party. Yes, and then, of course, the government gets to choose what, what is disinformation and what isn't. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the main problem is who chooses what's disinformation. Exactly. Right? Mm. So. Anyway. Yeah. Um, that sort of reminds me of the situation in Russia and some of their laws about disinformation, which well, we makes have, it that uh, much scarier. We have stuff coming through Parliament right now, too, on a very similar basis, right? So... Mm. With the, yeah, the old bill, the old bill C10 that they're yeah. regurgitating, and yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how if this takes takes hold and and spreads in the Western countries, anyway. Yep. That'd be the end of a podcast, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we don't spread any disinformation. Come on. Well, some we say is true and factual. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Um, I've got I've got a couple articles here. They're both kind of related, um, so I I'm sure everybody's aware of the uh, the zero COVID policy that China has. So um, basically, Shanghai is more or less shut right down. So residents are struggling to get basic food, basic medicine. They can't leave their place. They're uh, I mean they're going to the extent of uh, welding. Uh, gates shut at buildings and it's, it's, it's bad. There's been, I mean, obviously again, censored reports coming out of there of, uh, them not wanting stuff to get out, but rumors of, of people dying in their house from no food or, or no medicine. And, um, I mean, they have this zero COVID policy and the cases just continue to go outraged. So obviously their policy doesn't work, but that would be a bad thing for them if it if they would have to admit that it didn't work. That's why they're doing it. So, well, I think they originally they told them to expect four days of lockdown, right? And then so everybody kind of went grocery shopping for four days, <laughs> and, and they limited what they could buy too because they didn't want people hoarding. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's why you get it before they they tell you to get four days. You have four weeks already, but yeah. um, so kind of on the the same sort of end of it and we've we've talked about this before and so this isn't something new and it's continuing to go on but um now uh they're saying of course because of china's uh, zero covid policy that it's going to uh severely uh restrict the global supply chain and it's going to be chaos for the summer of 2022 um i believe it was you ian that sent out uh a little thing on the podcast or on the on the discord where you could see where ships were throughout the world. And um, so basically 
on the, the east coast of the, or sorry, the west coast of the U.S., where last year there were hundreds and hundreds of ships waiting to unload and everything. There's basically nothing there. And all the ships are sitting around the side of China waiting for the ability to unload and load and bring their, their stuff over. So, um, again, yeah, well, I was going to say, go ahead, man. Nope. That's what nope. I, I was going to say, because aviation has like flight tracker or flight aware, right? Where you can monitor all the flights, same idea. They have a maritime tracker and you can filter out cargo ships alone, which I think ended up being green on the screen or whatever. And yeah, last year it was long beach that had all the, the, the backlog. Remember when the dock workers were only working five day weeks and, six hour days and stuff and uh so they clear that backlog and yeah they've all returned now and you can see all the the green cargo ships which normally i guess is already you know on average 150 ships waiting to go off shanghai because that's the manufacturing base but i guess the numbers bumped up to like five six hundred now and because of the lockdowns yeah nobody's showing up to work so they can't even handle that so was it any particular departments like uh whether it was food or medicine or clothing or was there any particular goods that were at risk in that that uh, mentioned at all? Anything that says made in China. Anything. Okay. Very curious. A lot of packages lately and they've all been on time. So I'm very curious. Yeah. It's kind of funny because I ordered stuff from AliExpress like last week mm -hmm. and they showed up within a week of me ordering it and it was supposed to be coming from China. But mind you, they do have some warehouses with prepackaged with high sales items that are like, you know, high volume stuff. So yeah. that could be part of the things. But <clears> I. I guess we're talking like, you know, everything from chips onwards, uh, microchips and, you know, couches. I was say, that's, that's, that, that for me, I think is the big thing is the, uh, the chip shortage is only going to get, I mean, you've only got a couple of countries that make them and, you know, more and more stuff needs chips. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people talk about the cars and that, but it's not just the cars that it's washing machines, it's fridges and freezers. It's that everything needs a chip. And, and if you can't get a chip, you can't, um, you know, you, you just, it's not going to be there. They can't finish their assembly and therefore can't yep. get the product out. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that, that possibly whatever you ordered in, like you say, they, they may have had a, a warehouse somewhere or they, or they are still flying stuff out, but they just can't fly it fast enough. And agreed. So, okay. Yeah. So I've got a news article talking about the uh, Solomon Islands. They are a little bit northeast from Australia. Um, apparently there's been a lot of political turmoil there over the last 20 or 30 years. Um, Australia has done a lot of uh, humanitarian work, um, sort of trying to help settle things down. Um, and apparently the Solomon Islands have signed a security pact with China. Uh, it sort of flew under everyone's radar um, and now people are kind of freaking out because um, it sort of looks a little expansionistic on China's part and it, uh, well, there's no talk of having a military base on the uh, Chinese military base on the Solomon Islands. Um, whether that's the, the next step and all of a sudden it's um, looking kind of Cuban Missile Crisis-esque for Australia, where um, all of a sudden China can project a whole lot more power if they're parked on an island not that far um, from Australia. And uh, so it's caused a whole lot of turmoil all over um, sort of the oceanic islands. Um, and 
it was really interesting because a friend was telling me about this issue and I'd heard absolutely nothing of it. And um, it's kind of potentially a big deal. So anyway, that's how it ended up on my radar. So um, I posted an article that has a lovely explanation talking about um, some of the backstory and, and uh, why sort of why this deal, this security pact is such a, a big issue. I'm surprised you don't remember back in your back when you were in your 20s, uh, the last time an Asian superpower invaded the Solomon Islands and put military stuff there, we fought the Battle of Guadalcanal. And, you know, that was a bit of a thing back then. Oh, I think I was in my 40s then. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the dimension already started set in and everything else. Yeah, so, yeah no, honestly, it's, it's a strategic place because it basically allows them to cut off sea traffic between the States and Australia and or, you know, Southeast Asia and Australia based on where the island chain is. And so, yeah, it's always been considered a strategic location. And, yeah, I mean, generally what happens with China is they end up putting military forces to protect whatever port facilities or whatever they end up building in some of these countries, which have done extensively in Africa. So hardly a, be a shocker when they've already got, you know, island bases in the Spratleys and everything else set up that they would put one there as well. So, Oh, chaos and pandemonium. Yeah, good stuff. So, um, and for our listeners in Manitoba, hopefully you're not being flooded out right now. Yeah, so, so is that just because the the massive snow within the massive uh, warm-up, or is that just rain? Uh, there's a couple of systems of rainfall onto already saturated and or frozen ground uh, to the point where they actually, a couple of places brought in um, huge amounts of, uh, of clay soil that they were going to sort of build some dikes over the roads if, uh, if flooding got so bad, potentially cut off um, a lot of that north-south uh, highway access going through the province, um, sort of if things got bad enough, depending on uh, if there was as, as much rain as had been forecasted. So, Well, hopefully we, uh, we've got a couple of uh, well, podcasters from Patriot there that are in the Manitoba area and stuff, so hopefully they're doing okay. So, Yeah, Nate. They got, especially on the American side, uh, they got a ton of snow this year. So with the snow melt and the runoff and that, yeah. But it seems, I don't know, it just seems to me that this isn't an uncommon thing for, for Manitoba. Yeah. Well, at Red, this time of year. Red River always floods too. So, I mean, that they got means to mitigate that now. But anyway, uh, what we done lately for preps, I guess. I started investigating uh, having a solar system for my roof, uh, looking at doing net metering, possibly a battery backup on the system, uh, just as a way of being more energy independent should, uh, while, while I'm not off grid, if the grid happens to disappear <laughs> around us, I'd still like to be able to have power. So um, it's just interesting talking to a uh, local company that, that does this stuff. So I had a really good chat with them and we're uh, exploring what would be involved. So do they uh, allow net metering in Ontario? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, they used to have uh, lovely deals where they sort of paid quite handsomely uh, per kilowatt hour uh, because solar systems were so expensive. Those aren't really a thing anymore, but you can do net metering. So if you're feeding into the grid during sunlight hours, when it's uh, uh, the higher cost per kilowatt hour, um, you know, it sort of helps offset the cost, uh, your capital cost putting in one of these systems. So cool. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't mind the company after the hour, uh, after the show, if you wouldn't mind sending that to me. 
Um, yeah, of course. Food for thought. I know I thought about it before. I think that's really great that you're looking into uh, solar power. And I know that they don't pay what they used to before. I have uh, many clients who have done it for that sole purpose. But yeah, very curious as to what you're looking into, because I think being self-sufficient is very important. So please. Well, and it's nice because the technology has really improved to the point where it's not just, you know, we talk about our battery boxes and having the ability to sort of charge it up and run a radio, charge yourself on that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the, the larger scale technology is really improved where you can have these great big lithium batteries. You can have uh, systems that flow in, do net metering. Um, so, you know, I think the, the evolution of, of home uh, solar is, is coming along nicely. So I'm, I'm excited to explore and see if, uh, if it's something we can make worthwhile. Wicked. Mm -hmm. I just uh, did a bunch of yard work uh, this week while the weather was good for a few days, trying to clean up from all the winter damage and down branches and you name it. Uh, and I did a bunch more firewood prep for next winter. Cool. Uh, speaking of water filtration and stuff, I ordered some Berkey replacement filters from uh, Rapid Survival of all places, if you can imagine that. And so I, uh, those showed up in the mail. Did a quad oil change for uh, the what I would call the farm tractor. A little bit of fuel rotation. I'm still falling behind on that. I got to play catch up. I got some empty jerry cans. Um, I got better Andrew from CPP, the original one, uh, making me some uh, power pole bits for the Anderson power pole plugs um, for those solar battery packs and stuff that we've been building. And let's see here. I guess this a couple weeks ago, I did some chirp programming. Uh, that kind of fell on its face, but it took me a while to clean it up. But I kind of got all the local repeaters kind of uh, sorted out into the radios. I had to do the kind of the seasonal stuff that I haven't touched, like you know, the handy talkie batteries and the drone battery charges, make sure everything stays up to snuff in case of a power outage. Um, I had to do a bit of a coop resupply for like, you know, wood shavings and feed and everything else, make sure everything's topped up. Actually got a little bit of reloading done, which is way behind on that. But anyway, that's, uh, that was good. Uh, and for the first time, I don't know how long I almost ran out of wood for my wood stove, which is our primary source of heat. So because we've had like Mayuary already still, <laughs> it's like super cold. <laughs> out. And, uh, yeah, it's been crazy cold considering we actually had snow in April, which is unheard of out here. And so we, we ended up burning about, I would say probably 30% more wood this year than last year. So I'm down to my like reserve stash and that, you know, I mean, I don't know how much longer I should need it, but anyways, and yeah. But that's uh, that's a big thing. Um, so we actually, because of that April snow damage, we actually had a bunch of branches come down. So I ended up having to do a bunch of chainsawing, clearing up, and burning off the uh, all the snow damage stuff before the burn ban kicks in, which was today. So that was all done. So we're no, lo no longer allowed big uh, slash burns anymore because of uh, fire hazard. Uh, just doing a quick inventory update for all the, uh, the the food preps and stuff, and then I uh, again better Andrew from. Canadian Peter podcast there. He's been a bad influence this week. I ordered a new bug out bag from uh, Verusta Leica, the Finnish reserve. Or sorry, oh, did, you, did you get that Dutch? Uh, that yeah, Dutch I totally did. And I was like, uh, yeah, because my, my, <laughs> my original uh, bug out bag is from the 1980s, you know, back when I was in my 30s. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it's it's really old and it's well, he, he did apart. a good sell on it. I mean, I don't he blame did. So yeah. I was like, yeah, it's so cheap. So I was like, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't resist. So yeah. that was pretty much it for me. 
I'd, I'd be curious to know what the shipping time is on that. <laughs> well, they have they haven't given me a shipping. It's been three days since I ordered it, and they haven't given me a shipping yeah. number yet. So I mean, I, I figure it takes a week usually to get going. But yeah, yeah, no, that was an awesome deal. I was contemplating that myself. I hadn't showed Amanda yet, so kind of broke the ice on that for me. <laughs> there okay. you go. Surprisingly cheap. Surprisingly yeah, cheap. Yeah. Okay. But uh, as far as as far as me, um, we're not we're not really big preppers yet. We want to be. We think a lot about it. And we're trying, <laughs> but yes. uh, baby steps. Um, I tried to hunt a turkey. Been trying that since uh, Monday was opening day. Been out three times, and so far I'm unsuccessful. Uh, opening morning, though, I almost I almost got one. He was close. He was about thirty yards away, but he just would not come out of the bush. And uh, he was just I just couldn't get him. But the other two times I went, it was kind of crappy weather, so maybe they don't like the rain. I don't know. I think Josh had the luxury last spring. He had like the ult somebody already had a blind set up. They already had um, pinpointed where the uh, roost was, and all he did was walk out. He was out there for forty five minutes sat behind the blind, shot it, and he had a guy come out with a four-wheeler and a beer after the fact because it was his friend's property. So he got the ultimate treatment. This year he had to try a little bit harder. So, <laughs> you know, he had to do a little bit more of the scoping, and he made his own blind this year. Uh, so that was a different strategy. And being an, uh, a green hunter, I wouldn't say that you have all the tools or, or accessories that maybe – well, most I, hunters have. I did make my own turkey call out of the wing bones of my last turkey, so yeah. maybe that, maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> I tried to be self sufficient, but I don't know yeah. if it sounds quite right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 you wanted a challenge this year, yeah. so I think you got the challenge. Yeah. But I will say, I think he got spoiled last year. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, it's like the gateway drug for hunting when you when you have a really <laughs> easy hunt. And yeah. it's like, oh, that's simple. I'll do that again next year. And then yeah, that's right. it's never yeah. that simple again. Yeah. Well, I almost felt bad about how easy it was last year. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? But, uh, well, I uh, also, I, I upgraded my cordless tools. After your last episode, you kind of inspired me to walk by the uh, Ryobis, and I entered the world of Milwaukee. So I was in Home Depot, and I saw a great deal uh, for the M18 hammer drill and impact set. So I couldn't, couldn't pass that up. Nice. Um, as uh, as you guys know, I, you've kind of well. I guess Ian follows me on Strava and and uh, the CPP stuff. So I've been working on my health and fitness. We've been trying to lose weight and have more stamina. Uh, we just finished the New Shooter Canada twelve week ruck challenge. Um, I got them all in. Unfortunately, I missed the last week. It's the only one I didn't complete on time. Uh, I felt really terrible about that, but the Rona got in the way. So I mean, I got I got all the rest in there and just over a hundred kilometers. So that was good. But obviously. Team Ragnarok kicked our butts, so that oh, was that was to be expected. So that wasn't really no, but <laughs> that it, wasn't it was a surprise. It was nice to know that they were listening and they were participating, yeah. and you know, it definitely gave me a push to get started. Yeah, I had my own personal reasons why things didn't work out the way I did, but I was so proud of Josh for continuing up right up to week twelve. So because that that's tough to do because like he and I used to, we well, do a lot together yeah and the fact that I ended up having to sit out for a while he could have easily just walked out and said and, nah well and, and nobody from Canadian Prepper podcast did the challenge so I mean well nope. yeah nope not even a little bit <laughs> Shots okay. fired. Like, no shame no shame there right so we'll, we'll see how they do with Rasul so how's yeah that? yeah we'll see we'll see how Rasul goes so well, I didn't Kind of mad about the Zool thing because normally it's in July. And, I know uh, it snuck yeah. right up on us, eh? 
Oh, it made me mad well, when I, I saw we'll, that it was in May. I guess we'll talk about that on upcoming events. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, other than that, Amanda and I have just been trying to think hard about how we can organize our lives better and become more efficient. And uh, we're building a shed out back to help with our long-term storage. And and we want to. We're thinking about turning part of our basement into a gun room. So that's what we're kind of kind of sketching that out and planning that right now. So. Yes. And that's about it. Absolutely. Well, I'll just continue on and what we were we've been working on. So uh, last year, Josh and I had started out with our first beehive and uh, we had a very decent harvest. Unfortunately, when we went to go check on our bees, they did not survive the winter. So, I mean, for Josh and I, that was very depressing. You know, we thought we did really well, but then we thought about our winter strategy and how, how we facilitated it and what maybe what we could have done differently. So we're in the midst of trying to discuss about whether we hold off this year and get another hive next spring. I'm wondering if it's too late to order uh, a new nuke or not. We have all the tools ready to go, so we'll see. But I mean, I really enjoyed having the hives. And during the summer, it was pretty easy to maintain. You just go and check on them every couple weeks, make sure that everything's going to plan maybe give them a little nudge in the right direction. Uh, but I, I guess we'll just kind of see how things are going. We may re-strategize where we put them. I think one thing that was uh, maybe to our disadvantage was having them at a friend's farm. It was great because they were out of everybody's way, but we couldn't keep an eye on, on them. And in the spring, early spring, maybe we could have caught on <laughs> that maybe they weren't doing so hot with their, their winter harvest. So uh, anyways, uh, well, well, time will tell. So we'll, we'll see what we're going to decide there, but we definitely want to do it again. Uh, we've also been uh, trying to introduce our hobbies and skills to our blended family. So anybody who doesn't know us, we have four kids between the two of us. So two boys, two girls between the ages of six and nine. So, uh, we try and get outdoors lots and, uh, you know, they really enjoy camping and they're really, really into YouTube survival videos. So I don't know. There's some guy from the, the Australia, I can't remember it, but he always goes, what's up doggies. And they love it. They just love it. So the, he always goes out and does about 24, 48 hours survival in the wild. So, uh, we wanted to kind of feed off of their interests. So we did find a uh, children's survival course. Uh, it was uh, held by Hazar and it was just this past Saturday. So we where we learned a little bit of everything. So that's, that kinda, the, uh, that's the Huron area search and rescue. Yes. So uh, we learned uh, how to use a compass, uh, first aid, importance of clean water, uh, some essentials for exploring the wild. Um, search and rescue strategies, uh, hug a tree program if you're lost, some quick shelter build ideas, as well as fire building and uh, techniques that really got the kids engaged. So that was really fun. It was a program that was aimed for ages five to 12. So really great to kind of get them into it without getting too deep into it, right? So. Uh, as soon as we got home, the kids right away built a tarp shelter. It's still set up in the back there. They got logs, tarp, and rope where they just built a simple shelter. And without any assistance, they were able to start a fire without us. So that was pretty cool that they could do that all on their own. That can, that can be good or bad. Depending. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the thing. So they got 
he was working out front and going to the back and doing some cleanup outside. I was inside and he goes, the kids started a fire without <laughs> us. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So we had to pull them in afterwards and we're like, you need to ask before you start a fire. Just to speak for they get the fire extinguisher training in, in hand too then. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, and like putting it out. Luckily, there's a hose right there. And we don't and... have a CO detector out there. So. That's, that's oh, right. that was oh. going to be my next question. Did you have the CO detector? Jeez. <laughs> But you know, it was it was good that they were so excited to put it out there. So I wasn't going to beat on them for that. But I, it it we definitely need to enforce some rules now. Just because they learned these things doesn't mean they could go ahead and do it without adult supervision. So well, it's good in case we ever decide to drop them off in the woods somewhere. <laughs> I'm tempted. Is it, it tempting? There, it there's is. days where you're tempted. I get it. Yeah. So. <laughs> But it was really cool though. They came home with their own first aid kits, emergency blanket, uh, whistle, and activity books to review what they learned. So that was really cool. Um, so a little booklet that we got about the water filtration, which I do see is kind of some of the basics that we're gonna learn about today. So I'm really excited about that and kind of putting two and two together. So that was really cool. Uh, so also to go along with our introduction to our hobbies with our children, uh, Josh and I had been pondering for a while and we decided to buy two rascals. Um, so we got a pink and a blue one to fit the, the boys and the girls interests. No, the uh, pink, pink one's for me. Yeah. Yeah, sure. like, yeah. 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 Don't gender shame or anything. Come on yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. You know what? My one son totally would pick the pink one hands down and i think your oldest daughter she she really loves teal so anything blue so whatever but it's a better fit for the children to learn the skill and to practice uh safeties um like proper safety when you're handling a firearm so i tried teaching with my ruger 1022 but it's just the stock is just way too long for them. So I think it's uh, important to have a tool. Like we had taken them out a couple times. They've all shown interest. So it was worth the purchase. And we ended up getting it on the. And it's funny how once they shoot a real 22, they don't want to touch the pellet guns. Anymore. No, they don't. No, they don't. And uh, so we're pretty excited to have those tools for them, bring them along with us so that we can go ahead and spend more time doing the things that we love and still introduce uh, the hobby to our children with a safe firearm um, that has like all the, the specialties meant for the children. And we're hoping to uh, mount some red dots on them for easy success, so, or, or good, uh, more rapid success. Yeah. yeah, I should point out for the listeners that may not be familiar too. So Savage Rascals, made in Lakefield, Ontario, uh, 16-inch barrel, a single shot 22, and I think minimum legal overall length, right? Like the 26 inches. So there's super kid size, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah super, and, super kid size. Yeah, because we did the exact same thing. So I started my kids off on 1022s when they were like six, seven, and it's too big for them, right? And so I got some some cute videos of them like leaning back and trying to get the red dot all figured out. but. As soon as I got the rascal, that's when it really took off for them. So it's it's yeah. a fantastic little thing to learn gun safety and everything else. With so, so, yeah, hundred percent. That's a great idea what you guys did there. Yeah, uh, well, we also have left-handers in our group too. So, like, I mean, it's already going to be a struggle teaching them to use a right-handed gun. We actually just uh, went through an episode talking about left-handed woes, but in the meantime, why not make it a little bit more simpler for them and accommodate them so that they can better enjoy it. 
because those rascals are going to last them a lifetime, even as a young adult. I really, they can grow into them quite well until they're probably. Are there about, any tactical stocks available? We can upgrade uh, them. Later on. You can get all of Drab Green stocks for them. Funny enough. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and one thing we actually didn't even mention. So you guys are co hosts on a podcast as well, which is called. A New Shooter Canada. Yeah. So, so I just, uh, I didn't really talk about that yet. So just in case when you, when you mentioned doing an episode, I just want to make sure people know which one they're talking about. So. <laughs> yeah. I, ended up, I, I did talk a little bit about that later. So we'll go through that. Um, awesome. uh, if you want to learn more about what, what it is that we enjoy talking about. But yeah, absolutely. So other than that, I guess that's been about it for our, our dreams for prepping and homesteading. Well, on behalf of the panel, we hate you now because now you're making us all look bad because you guys did more for preps in the last little while than I could think we have done in the last year. Or so, <laughs> so yeah, now it's just now we've been we've been schooled. Ian's just been riding on his laurels for years now. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, like, I feel horrible. Like, I'm a bad. How guy. did you run out of firewood? There's no way, there's no way we can ever. He, catch he up just to Ian. figures a CGN deal here or there, and he's good to go. So yeah, it's like I didn't even mention. I'm not that even. Year, though. I'm not even on CGN. So you know, there, there you go. Well, oh, seriously, wow. when we came in, I was like, so what do we do for prepping? And he goes, I said, I know what my dream thoughts are, and and so I was kind of describing it, and he goes, you call that bugging in. And I was like, oh, well, yeah. what does that mean? And you'd be surprised what really counts as prepping when you think about it. If you live on an acreage, it's everyday life. And then and it's amazing what you can turn into something that you see as what you've done for preps because it is helping you be either less reliant or, you know, I guess more self-sufficient or anything else or even safer. Uh, it all counts, right? So, I mean, a lot of people are like, you know, preppers don't even realize it. Like if you get car insurance, technically you're, you're thinking about the what ifs, so. Yeah. <laughs> like, why not? Or, or even yeah. something as, as simple, you know, I was talking to some, some friends and people about it. And I said, uh, I said, you know, the one person about canning stuff, they're like, Oh yeah, I can stuff all the time. Well then guess what? You may not like it, but you're a prepper. You're preparing <laughs> for your, your, I'm not one of those your, guys. Yeah. You're preparing for, And I, I mean, you know, it, it, it doesn't help that the public perception of, of preppers is, you know, people with bunkers in their backyards full of guns and ammo and well, we grenades and whatever. <laughs> and you, walk, you walk around with uh, the, the face paint and all the, all the, the ammo on your, around you. But, um, yeah. and, you know, it's not, there are those people out there, trust me, but they're, they're the friends. my canned peaches and my creative yeah. SKS ammo. That's, that's in, <laughs> in, in the end, I, the way I see it, and I was just having this conversation with my mother because she was, she listens to the news and everything that you guys have kind of recapped. And she, she says to me, it's so depressing. Like the world is going to be taken over by all these people and all these situations and there's nothing we can do about it. And I said, well, no, you can't do anything about the general consensus of it, but there are things that you can do personally to help yourself in this situation. So what can you do for you? And I said, take 15 minutes out of your day, whether it's to learn a new skill. Oh, you went and grocery shopping and you picked up a few extra things on sale that you kept in storage just in case. You know what I mean? Like do something, something small that helps you feel better about your situation. I, I, as much as I want to go in, you know, like all my money, all my situation to go, Hey, I want to be a prepper. I want to be a homesteader and I want to do this. 
the reality is I don't have the abilities to do that or I'm not mentally prepared to do that. But everybody has the opportunity to do a little bit of something. So and that's yes. and that's that that's really is the key do. thing is is yeah. do something or do a small part every day or you know once a week or do something and all of a sudden you'll stand there and look at it and go hey wait a minute i uh you know i mean now's the time of year i don't know where your mom lives or what her situation is yeah but uh have her have her have a little garden somewhere her own, I, her own well, vegetables and that too. Yeah, so give, that's her, give her something to do to be out there and tending the garden and and yeah. you that's it's fruit, especially now with the with the cost of food and the cost of everything that, that's going on. Every little bit helps. Well, I think peace of mind is is a big part of preps too. So I mean, this yeah. is just one of those things where you know self reliance is one thing, but peace of mind is another huge thing. So yeah, if it gives her a little bit of uh, I guess less stress and listening to the daily news, it's you know it's a good thing, right? Let's get her some chickens. You, you honestly, well, <laughs> well, hush now. But I mean, I I totally get it. Can be very overwhelming listening to today's news and being and sitting there going, that is awful. Like what what would like even looking at Russia and Ukraine in general, how if we were put in that situation, what would we look like? And majority of the people would not be able to handle it very well. We would cope. We would find a way to survive because that is the way humans work. But really and truly, it, it's been such a shake to the core. And I know my mom is really struggling with that. And I'm struggling with that. So what can we do? We don't have any control over the the majority. All we can do is take care of ourselves. So what can you do to make yourself feel better about it? So I, I that's why I really love this whole whole concept. And uh, that's why I'm really honored to be on this show. So thank you very much. So grace. When I, when I first got involved with the podcast, um, Ian pointed out that the first step in prepping is just getting rid of that continuity bias. Right. Recognizing that things aren't always going to carry on simply because we want them to simply because it was, it would be convenient. Um, you know, we, we all make assumptions as a society that there's always going to be power coming from the outlet in the wall and always going to be groceries at the grocery store. And, uh, you know, as soon as you've shaken off some of those dangerous assumptions, you're already in a much better, better place. So, I think that's an excellent first step, so. Perfect. Yeah, well, you mentioned the Russia thing, too. Like, you know, uh, we lost, I think, over the course of 10 years, we lost 150 and change soldiers in, in Afghanistan. And that was enough to be politically, I guess, volatile to either continue or end the mission, right? Mm -hmm. 150 dead soldiers is Tuesday in Mariupol right now. So, I mean, like, so yeah. like, you imagine just the absolute change in the worldview that some of these people have had lately. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. So, but we yeah. should probably move on to the main topic since we're 40 minutes in. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, this is obviously not our first crack at the water episode. We did talk about it in episode nine back when Eric and I were just, I think, bandying back and forth. And maybe Alan had joined us by that point. But we basically just said, hey, we need water to live, right? Right. Cool. All right. Next episode. And we didn't really cover a whole lot. So, we should probably, you know, go a little further in depth here. Um, it's not really a cool thing to talk to talk about. It's not tactical. It's not a bug out bag. It's it's something. But as you know, three days without water, that's it, right? So you guys obviously yeah, that gave us this idea to talk about water again, uh, Josh and Amanda. So we're happy you did that. 
And uh, so, yeah, I guess right off the bat, we should probably just make sure that people realize that with water storage or preps is not generally a one and done thing. So if you are having to, I guess, capture your own water, we should probably break it down to the first two steps and then talk about the other stuff later on. But first, the two steps being filtration, then disinfectant or disinfecting, however you want to describe it, and uh, take it from there. So uh, I guess step one, filtration. So uh, why do we want to filter it, Scott? Well, uh, the whole process, we're trying to deal with microbiology. That's the enemy here. Um, mainly bacteria, but also some viruses, some other little players. Uh, you think back to the Waterton, uh, sorry, the Walkerton water crisis where E. coli contaminated the supply and sickened a whole lot of people. Um, it's uh, a bacteria. It's not terribly sexy, but it has fecal oral transmission, so it gets into that water supply and gets into you and makes you sick. Um, most local health departments will test your well water for you. Uh, and the thing they're mainly testing for is the presence of E. coli. Uh, so, you know, whether your well water is clean and safe and drinkable, uh, especially depending on the, the home filtration system you have. Uh, so that's why it's a, a concern. Uh, for those of you old enough to remember playing Oregon Trail in the computer lab in school, uh, or those of us old enough to have been on the Oregon Trail, John died of dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a horrible way to go, really. Oh, terrible, terrible. Um, you know, and while we talk about prepping and we sort of describe, you know, this horrible Mad Max uh, kind of world, the reality is that during a serious grid-down situation, Waterborne illness is going to kill way, 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 way more of us than violence would. Um, yeah, actually, uh, some of the books I've been reading lately, uh, uh, the way were recommended to me by Brad, I think, on the, on the Discord. Yeah, they're always talking about waterborne illnesses more than anything else. And he actually focuses on that like to a larger extent than I expected. And, um, you know, the first thing I thought of filtration when I, I was like thinking of the two-step process, I was thinking taste, because if you're getting like a muddy puddle water it's gonna taste like ass so you're gonna to want to like you know kind of make it taste better but even on a daily basis um you know if you're using a, a whether that brita filter in your kitchen or a berkey or whatever a lot of times you're just trying to take out that city water taste that tastes like reused city water <laughs> you know <laughs> just tastes horrible right so you want to even like taste is a big thing like uh, they pumped it right out of the lake yeah exactly or like they might have just recycled that water and reused it and just kind of ran it through the uh the treatment plant or whatever right so yeah like i mean uh in order to stay hydrated for your ruck challenge or you know in a grid down situation where you're gonna be like exerting yourself you're gonna want to take in the water but if it tastes like ass you're not gonna want to drink it so that's a problem too right and then if it isn't filtered properly you you know you might even have chemicals in it uh if you're you know sucking out of a stream and you're downstream from a plant that's shut down or people that are dumping crap in there like they're dumping their their water soluble paint in there because they just figure it's a good idea to get rid of it you know, dilution is the solution to pollution or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you never know what's in that water, right? Like, I mean, upstream from you. So it's 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 kind of a bigger deal than most people give it credit for, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it's such an important thing. It is uh, one of the, the major... Yeah, we, we talked about it in episode nine because it's such a big thing, and then we've kind of ignored it <laughs> for... Well, yeah, and I was actually surprised about that. That it had actually been that long ago. So I guess the the most people, when they think of water filtration right now in everyday life, they're thinking about the boss level filtration system, which is the reverse osmosis filter, which you know is awesome. 
most houses that you know have like a, a dedication to water processes like if you're dealing off a crappy well water or if you're just ultra anal about it they'll have this this massive filter system set up in your basement and it goes through the filter verse that hits the uv filter which is like yeah it works great it gives a nice nice clean water but it actually requires external pressurization so either from the city lines or might require a water pump on your acreage to run it properly so that's obviously not going to work long term right if something goes grid down or interruption of service or even just like brownouts or anything else right so you got to kind of work work around that a bit well and you think back to you know camping when water filters were the old lever action screws on top of an algae um like that's what the most popular water filters were and you went out camping and everyone ended up horribly dehydrated because work like there was so much work involved to get water whereas now when you have sort of the gravity fed systems filtering for you you have lots of water so looking at that difference between water being a big pain pain in the butt and a very limited commodity versus nowadays when the technology is improved and it's a whole lot easier if we sort of take that mindset and apply it to our home lives in a big ugly grid down situation you know are we going to be in a situation where water is manageable yeah, and so like you mentioned the catadine filter, those type of things, it's like, yeah, they work awesome. They really do, uh, but A, they're super expensive, and um, and they are more portable than other systems, but yeah, like you said, you're going to want to sit there and, and pump water constantly to to keep yourself hydrated, or you want to just like work smart, uh, smart, not hard, and you know, use something like the Berkey, right? So, uh, Berkey's, have you guys had any experience with them? I have not. No? No. Okay. So basically, if you imagine just like two steel, and well, depending on the size that you buy, like you actually buy it based on the amount of holes in the bottom of the Berkey filter, so you can put more filters in, so it actually filters water faster. But imagine like a steel five-gallon bucket on top of another steel five-gallon bucket. And based on the amount of holes is uh, the amount of water per, per hour it can filter, but it works just strictly on gravity. So it's designed for the third world. Uh, this is kind of like your, your, I guess, your, your prepper gold standard filter. Um, so it's, it's no electricity required. It works strictly by gravity. You just throw water in the top hopper. It goes through these filters uh, just on a seepage basis, and the filters are basically made out of like burnt coconut husk that's compressed. So imagine like hamster shavings, but coconut husks that are kind of charcoaled <laughs> up. And it's that's exactly what they're made out of. And so yeah, they work really well. They're super pricey, but they last forever. So so what, like three or four gallons, or how much at a time? Well, so yeah, my my I got the Royal Berkey. I think it's got six holes in the bottom. Anyway, I don't know what they have all these these crazy names for them. The Royal, that sounds fancy. Yeah, mm. like there's the the Crown, the Royal, the the whatever. I'm gonna talk about another one. Crown later Royal. On. Mm. Yeah, ooh, <laughs> not that type of filter. Um, so yeah, anyways, basically you, you just throw the water on top, and actually it'll take anything you want. You could actually do something what they call the the food dye test. You could actually like put red food dye or any color food dye you want in the water, throw it in the Berkey, it'll come out clean out of the bottom. So it, it filters out dirt, viruses, bacteria, absolutely everything. And as a matter of fact, if you have chlorine in your city water and you're using it in the city, you can actually get an extra piece that goes underneath the filters that removes the chlorine after it's been filtered. So you can avoid that atrazine in the water, you know, take away the Alex Jones content, which is, you know, he's worried about the, the frogs going gay and everything else. I get that. But <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a long, long urban myth with him. So anyways, but um, 
yeah, no, they, they work really well, but they are not cheap. So, you know, you might have to spend 200 bucks on filters, uh, but they will last, you know, hundreds of thousands of gallons because you can actually like scrub them as you go along, clean them up again, and then they, they last a long time. So I think in the, I got to count now, 12 years we've had the Bergie. This is our third set of filters, but yeah. we use it for absolutely everything and it makes everything taste better. So. Have you ever tested your water through the Berkey to see if it works or do you just do the taste test? Uh, taste test right off the bat, but we had our water testing. So when we moved here back in 2013, we did a well test and already the, the water was fine. Like the guy wanted our water basically because it was like filtered through granite to begin with. The only thing we have is a little bit of mineral content um, to deal with. And so it just filters that out. So I didn't get a mineral scale on top of the filters. I just toothbrush that off and it's good to go. Um, but yeah, no, it does taste way better and it's obviously no, no problems. So we don't, we don't use any sort of UV system or bleach or anything else like that. We'll, we'll talk about. So, um, now basically with the Berkey filters, when you buy those things, you're paying for the filters for the most part, but you're also paying for that stainless steel bucket. So if you don't want to do that, you can actually just get a couple of Home Depot buckets and buy the filters and still kind of make your own. Um, so I threw a YouTube link in the show notes there that I'll put up on the uh, YouTube channel and, yeah, it's actually not that hard to make. So that that's a thought right off the bat. So does, Ber does Berkey make like a sport bottle version? Like we we could just they do. So I was actually make a joke about it later on, but this is a good time as any. So oh, okay. they actually make a little Berkey Sport. It's called, and it's a blue water bottle, and it's got a straw that goes through the top, and in the bottom of the straw, it's got like a little mini black filter. Uh, that's the same material that's in the the big Berkeys, and it's relatively cheap. I think it's fifteen bucks for the filter or something. But if you imagine trying to suck through an empty balloon, that's what you're dealing with when you. <laughs> it, hey, it, it, it's not that bad. It's it's well it's it's tougher than you would think, anyways. And the problem is that it, it's it, it works. And if you for a bug out bag or something like that, absolutely, you know, sure it would work for sure. But on an everyday usage, I didn't. I have one. I, I just ended up not using as much as I thought. So. Okay. I, I'm not. I'm not using it that much either. It's more. I. I've got it more for the shit hit the fan scenario stuff. You yeah. know, I. I end up stranded somewhere and I've got to get home or whatever. I. I. I know that I can take that and filter some water. You know, while I'm out in the middle of nowhere somewhere, or whatever. It's not. It's not intended for, just using it here in the house. I've got filters for that. So. Yeah, it does actually take out viruses and stuff without bleach, which is good. So that's a good thing. Um, but if you don't want to do a Berkey and you just want to have something on standby for a, like a shit hit the fan situation or just a grid down long term, whatever, you can actually make a three bucket system, which basically has like, uh, if you imagine gravel on top, sand below that, leaking into a second bucket, which will give you like a, a run through charcoal, activated charcoal, as Jeff was about to talk about. And then a third bucket just collects the clean water at the bottom. And again, video in there. Um, it, it's used throughout Africa because it's just cheap. It, takes, it might take about five bucks worth of materials to make. And then you just go up and collect your sand and rocks from a, a creek side. Um, so it works. I mean, it's just uh, it's a matter of getting that. But then, of course, you have to treat it afterwards. But we'll talk about that later. And yeah, I, so so on that on that topic, Ian just mentioned the only thing I want to do to mention just to make sure that everybody's clear um, when they say charcoal, they're not talking about charcoal from your fire pit or your wood stove or whatever. Uh, it is activated charcoal, and it has to be activated charcoal using that charcoal from your stove or that whatever will probably kill you if it doesn't make you incredibly sick. Um, you can make your own 
activated charcoal. Um, there's there's YouTube videos out there how to do it. Um, it's a little time consuming and tedious, but if you have to, you can make your own activated charcoal, but just make sure that's what you're using. You're not just using normal charcoal. Although I heard charcoal is a good uh, detoxifier for you. Like if you have poisoning or something, you have a little, a little bit of like fireplace charcoal in a pill and then run it down like a little tiny bit will actually help. But I, I that's, I don't have anything. No, back. actually, I, actually they, the, um, hospitals and that they they use activated charcoal a lot for poisoning and and yeah. that kind of stuff and they'll, they'll have the uh you know like sometimes drug overdoses and that they'll they'll have the people actually drink the uh they'll have a watered down drink of activated charcoal that will that will as you say detoxify or or quite lessen the effects of whatever it is that you've taken that makes a heck of a mess yeah, yes. I'd imagine it's it's probably on the on the back end too. It's probably not overly thrilling to yeah. to deal with the the after effects of drinking something like that. So, yeah, uh, I'm just going to point out in the chat. Uh, James mentions all the British royal residences use Berkeys. There you go. <laughs> wow. Maybe they're trying to keep that atrazine out or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, uh, Ryan brings up a really good point. Uh, the Berkeys will not filter out salty water. So they're not desalinators by any means. There's actually 3M, I think it is, makes a, a desalinization membrane to take salt water, turn it into fresh water, but it requires pressure and power. So that's a thing. But you, if you're going to deal with salt water, there's always like the evaporation method, like uh, distillation, or you could. Yeah, there's there's a few ways to do it, but it's not overly easy. So no, I mean it's it's more if you're desalinating, it's much more of a survival situation because you're <laughs> in a raft in the ocean. Well, and like he said, saline saline plugs the filter. Well, yeah, I'll say because I take a, a five gallon bucket of salt water out here from the bay just down at the bottom of the road, and I can literally get about two, well, not maybe about a pound of salt out of five gallons of water like by just evaporating it off of a, of a wood stove. So if I start a wood fire outside, you know, in a covered area and uh, just, just boil off the salt water, I'll end up with a bunch of sea salt. Like you wouldn't believe <laughs> real fast. So, yeah, but it's just not cost effective right now, but if I ever needed salt, it's a thing. Anyway. Um, and I think this is James. This looks infected. Uh, charcoal dose, very little in modern overdoses. We've almost stopped using it. So there you go. Okay. There you go. Anyway, I'll uh, defer to his knowledge for sure on that one. So uh, a couple other things about filters. If you don't want to spend money on a Berkey and you don't want to spend time building the uh, three bucket system or anything else, even like a, you know, a couple of big water barrel systems, you can do the same idea with a bunch of sand and gravel. If you want to just take the big, uh, I guess, large diameter stuff out, there's a couple of things you can have around the house. So um, I think a lot of people have these things, which is like a tea strainer. Uh, so these tea strainers are stainless steel, laser cut, super tiny holes in them. Um, they will filter out an amazingly large amount of things. So if you want to take uh, some uh, large items out, that's a good way to pre-filter your water. But even before you run into a Berkey, if you had to, um, coffee filters with your coffee hopper might taste might taste like garbage afterwards, but it'll work um, if you haven't cleaned up your coffee hopper in a while. Um, the other thing I was showing the guys on the Discord too is like some of these uh, teas nowadays come with these plastic tea bags. I'm just going to check my camera here to make sure I can see it. So nowadays these, these tea bags come in plastic and they're like a fine mesh. And uh, if you actually take a bunch of those and put them at the bottom of those bucket systems, it keep the sand from going into the next level. Um, so if you want to keep the, 
the sand from leaking down into the uh, the charcoal, whatever. That's that's a good way to do that. Uh, Darius mentioned using cheesecloth as kind of a pre-filter system as well. But honestly, even if you just have a Brita around and you want to just take out the large chunkies out of your water before you try and deal with it afterwards, that's a good way to start. Anybody else have anything to add? I, um, I love the Gravity Works uh, system that I have where it's a platypus bag of dirty water going through a filter uh, into your clean platypus bag and a backwash you basically just reverse it so the clean water goes back through the filter and it's amazing how much particulate and stuff you see going back into the dirty bag like when it's that concentrated goop um oh yeah that first little bit of backwash it's terrifying actually yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. a lot of people are drinking that stuff just straight and then wondering why they get ill too so uh with the platypus filter is that uh is that actually the, the name brand of the filter or does it like got a uh, sawyer mini on it or was it got on it um, it's platypus bags. I think the brand is Gravity Works, but I'll have to look it up and find that for you in a minute. Okay, cool. Uh, disinfection time. I think <laughs> well, you should see a doctor about that then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I should see a doctor about that then. Uh, okay, so yeah, why are we disinfecting? Obviously, Scott covered this before. Mainly, so you don't die, but um. Yeah, we actually have our own little Canadian history moments here. We have uh, Giardia, we're worried about, which is Beaver Fever. Beaver Fever got its name from a group of guests who arrived at the Banff Springs Hotel back in the 1800s and decided to drink from a stream that was uh, full of beavers that were crapping in the water, and they got sick and died. <laughs> so <laughs> people thought it was just a fever back in the day. They didn't realize what was going on, but that's actually, yeah, it was obviously, uh, I guess, a bacterial infection, uh, which causes diarrhea. Dysentery, same idea, Scott. That's that's just excessive diarrhea too, right? Yeah, I mean, whether it's you know an amoebic dysentery or cholera or like we talked about this a little offline. It doesn't really matter what's killing you by giving you diarrhea and dehydration. Um, you know, whether it's E. coli or cholera, like the the causative agent isn't really the concern. The filtering and the disinfection we're doing, we're aiming to kill off any of these potential villains um, so that we have clean, healthy water at the end of the, uh, the process. So in theory, whatever we're doing for one should work for sort of all of the, these common, uh, common issues or common bacteria, microbiological agents, whatever. Yeah, and I guess the reason we're mentioning disinfection after filtration is because any method you use for water is going to be way less effective in dirty water than it is in clean water, right? So if you're, if it's sit there swimming with, with you know, fecal matter and everything else, and they're clearly adding a couple drops of bleach isn't going to do anything to it, right? Well, yeah, if there's still tadpoles swimming in it, you want to filter <laughs> yeah. that out so you have yeah. the cleanest water possible. Because <laughs> when, when you look at the, you know, sort of jumping down in the notes a bit, if we're disinfecting the water with bleach it really doesn't take a huge amount but that's because you're presuming you're doing already filtered fairly clean water if all of your clean your disinfecting agent is going into the silt that's in your water because you haven't filtered it you're really no better off yeah um quick question from chris how do you treat rainwater well treat it gently for one no <laughs> it's um I guess you can't filter it and collect it at the same time because any anything used for collection of rainwater is going to be a problem. And the fact that you're never going to keep the rain barrels 
on the inside perfectly clean to keep it as potable water. So generally what I try and look at it as a, I guess a strategy is to collect the rainwater in a container. It's going to get moldy or algae covered or get pollen in it or whatever because of what's on the roof. Uh, right now we're getting pollen in our, in our rainwater collection barrels. Um, but then you take or the bird, rainwater. Bird, bird poop on your roof. Bird yeah. poop on the roof, same thing, yeah. So uh, obviously treating rainwater in a one-step process is not going to work. I'd collect the rainwater, then move it to the filtration system, then move it to the disinfection system. Got to keep them separate. So that's uh i just treat green water like any other water just uh yeah deal with it on a step-by-step process uh yeah so i guess the first first way to disinfect bleach um uh, it's an on, ongoing prepper thing as well um a couple of things major notes unscented bleach only don't get the the fresh scent or the 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 jasmine scented bleach extra stuff you don't need chemical wise and or stuff to filter out so just uh just regular cheap unscented bleach will work what about a Tide Pod? Uh, well, there's a challenge involved with that. I think if, if you want to talk about the uh, the detoxification part that we mentioned about 10 minutes ago, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't be able to help you at that point. Uh, I think that's the Darwin Award thing. Uh, yeah, so bleach only. So And don't drink bleach. Uh, don't drink bleach, please. Um, there is a couple of steps here as well. So uh, back to Hughes's from the podcast here. He had uh, HFX Prepper was his old channel name. He forgot to mention it last week, but his new channel name is Sigma Ranch. Um, he's got a great video on how to make bleach from pool shock, which is a thing. Uh, so if you pool shock lasts forever uh, in a concentrated powder form, it's very cheap to buy relatively to buying a bottle of bleach, but you just have to turn it from that powdered form into liquid. And once you've made bleach out of pool shock or just bought bleach from the store, bleach only lasts about a a year or two before it starts losing its efficacy so then all these recipes kind of go out the window so general rule uh and i'm going to get corrected here on in about three seconds i'm sure but uh two drops per liter of bleach if that's assuming it's five percent concentration which is your standard bleach concentration uh five gallons you use half a teaspoon if you want to use it uh in imperial form or whatever um again through another uh, youtube video in the in the show notes here because uh, if you can barely smell it, that's the ideal. If it smells strongly bleached, don't drink it. Um, Boy Scout camp, I think in the Boy Scout manual, I think they used to make what they call a stock solution. So they take like hardcore bleach, filter it down to about, you know, maybe a 1% solution, and then they'd use that to do water so kids didn't accidentally drink it or anything else that we were talking about before the show. Uh, but it's just an extra step you don't need to take if you don't want to. So... Anybody else have any questions on how to disinfect with bleach? No, let's move on. All right, cool. <laughs> Iodine uh, is another old school way of uh, doing the disinfection part. And now I think Scott can probably attest as well back when you had to deal with that on, on other side gigs that you may or may not do for a living. Uh, iodine is gross stuff. It really is. It's, yeah. um, it, it makes the water look like weak tea. It's, um, it smells weird. It tastes weird, but it does the job. So it, it's a good topical anesthetic. Um, iodine can look like this is, this is betadine, which is like a topical anesthetic or antiseptic, should I say. And, um, this is something I bought in Zare stores in Ontario, which was like a, uh, 25 mil, I think of iodine. It cost me a fortune. I think back in the day it was like five bucks or something. It's probably double that now. Um, so I'm sure you can get it cheaper somewhere else, but at the time I didn't know any better. So I just bought this, but it's 2% tincture of iodine, 
So generally five, uh, five drops of 2% tincture to each liter of water, and that should dis disinfect it. But it's also going to change the taste. And so a lot of these water tabs that you'll buy in uh, like the Coughlin's uh, setup and everything else, they're all like basically just iodine tablets. And then they have a second pill to add to get rid of the iodine taste. <laughs> it tastes so bad. So that is one way to do it for sure. Uh, the only thing with that, just like bleach, uh, you probably want to let both of them stand for about 30 minutes before you actually drink it. So unlike the Kennedy filter or the Berkey, you kind of got to wait. Okay. Yeah, take, takes time to kill off all of, all of the nasties. Yeah. And so like you said, it, uh, it does have a secondary purpose though for preparedness and the fact that you can m take iodine, make a topical disinfection uh, solution. So if you have to like sterilize anything or like clean out wounds or anything else that's a thing this zeros bottle that i bought actually has potassium iodide in it as well so if you are worried about radiation uh from a nuke plant going off or whatever and people can't get your ki pills this has ki in it so that's so how so does the iodine last longer than bleach then um as far as i know it doesn't seem to go bad that i know of i haven't seen anything talk about that but i mean maybe it does I, this, these things are like 10 years old so maybe they're no good <laughs> <laughs> I also not a big fan of using them, so <laughs> um, I I don't know for sure, but some of it's elemental iodine, so it really can't sort of break down if it's in a stable sort of uh, chemically stable environment. Versus uh, bleach and pool shock is all sodium hypochlorite, um, mm -hmm. so if chemically that starts breaking down, if you already elemental there's not much smaller you can break down right yeah, yeah. and uh last little trip to use I, I this is in like my uh my suitcase for when i'm on the road uh aqua tabs so better than iodine more of a chlorine based kind of like sterilization system and it's got the instructions right on the back so they made it ian proof it's perfect and uh <laughs> so yeah basically a couple uh, tablets would go in a liter of water i this this one's actually one tab per two liters because it's a uh, higher strength stuff but you can get like 40 tablets for like 10 bucks. It's, it's pretty cheap. Um, Expiry date on those? Not that I see. It doesn't, like normally the when you get something like that, that has, oh, it does have an expiry date on it. Stand by. This is going to be embarrassing. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, they're expired. <laughs> no, is actually. Is that before or an actual expiry date? It says expires and it expired in 2019. So they're probably no good, but okay. I'll keep them. Because something's better than nothing. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say, if push comes to shove, they may well work. Yeah, but I guess it's time for me to go get some new ones. Anyway, so I just learned something. Where do you, where do you get them? Uh, those ones, I think I got at Rapid Survival. No, no, I got these at Canadian Tire. I think it was under the camping section. They had Aqua Tabs. Um, okay, but that was in Barry. Just so you know, so just throwing it out there. Anyway, um. The other thing, the SteriPen. So a couple of my friends had these things. Now they are, I don't know if they're snake oil or not, but they they seem, with same thing with the reverse osmosis filter, they have a UV uh, stage as well. SteriPens are basically AA batteries uh, hooked up to a UV light that you basically shove in a glass of water, squeeze the handle, and you're good for about, I think, after 30 seconds, I think it says the water's safe to drink. I have no idea to, to prove how that works or not. Um, a, a lot of home systems have a UV, UV element where the water is passing over a very bright UVC spectrum bulb uh, to kill off 
everything. And I mean, it's a flowing system. Uh, we used to have one at our old place. So if they've managed to make one small enough that you can sort of do a glass at a time, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so like the stray pin seems to make sense, but I, I, again, if you're only doing a glass at a time, that's a bit of a problem. You can probably roll through your A and AA batteries real fast doing that. So maybe for a uh, bug out bag or a short-term thing, maybe I could see that. Anyway, um, the other thing I just want to talk about that I'd, I've seen it mentioned a couple times, and I don't know what to make of it, but uh, so say if you have a big barrel of water down your, in your basement and you just want to store water long-term, obviously the water's going to taste like stale after a while, and you can reoxygenate it, you can shake it, and it seems to make it better, but these people are selling an aerobic stabilized oxygen water preserver, which definitely sounds like snake oil, but um, it's basically you're supposed to add a couple drops of this to a barrel of water, and it's supposed to make it stay tasting good. Mm. I, I don't know. But it's a thought. Mm. Yeah. Oh, uh, James mentions if you uh, rainwater is typically fine if clean caught, if the catch mechanism, like your roof typically, uh, bird droppings in the downspout that are the issue. So if you clean catch in pots or a tarp, just drink. Yeah, if you had a clean tarp and you're in, in a rainstorm, yeah, you know, this is a problem. If you have the, the tarp sitting there for six weeks and it's got pine needles and bird poop and squirrel effect, you know, effluent or whatever on it, yeah, that's probably a problem. <laughs> well, then it's no I'd better than be, your roof. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, rather be I, I, story. So, yeah. I like the pots idea. You you've got a pot in your in the house. Just take it outside and set it. Let let the rain fall in it, and you know yeah, it's I, clean. You've cleaned it, and. I believe uh, Brendan Gleason held a clinic on that and 28 days later on top of his uh, apartment building roof, he had like 50,000 pots up on the roof collecting <laughs> rainwater. So exactly what I was picturing. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, I also threw in a handy PDF link for the uh, Environmental Protection Agency of all things, uh, talking about disinfection of drinking water. And uh, they have everything from bleach to iodine to so on and so on. It's just a handy PDF. It's two pages. You can print it off and it kind of gives you the Coles notes on everything I just mentioned. So now, assuming that you have none of those things and Zeris has closed and Canadian Tire is not selling Aquatabs anymore, I guess there, there's always boiling. Now, back in, when Scott and I were growing up in the 1920s, it was uh, we were told to boil it for 10 minutes, which I never really thought made sense because if you boil stuff for 10 minutes, you're probably going to lose half the water to evaporation. Uh, turns out that basically the CDC and the EPA both agree that if you bring it up to the boil, even a minute is more than sufficient. Matter of fact, even if you bring it up to boiling temperature, that's that's good enough. But they say a minute is like basically overkill at that point. That should be good enough because uh, I guess once you get up to that boiling temperature, most eggs of parasites and or bacteria is instantly pretty much killed at that temperature. So that's just something to think about. Uh, a little further back in the chat, James pointed out that certain pathogens, Giardia being one of them, are a little harder to kill with boiling. Uh, so sometimes it does take longer. E. coli being one of the more common ones that we're trying to deal with, um, sort of being the, the more common pathogen in this situation, uh, he suggested a rolling boil for five minutes. There so. you go. Now, I'm still going to argue about it. And <laughs> <So, laughs> I guess, uh, so if you don't have any heat by this point, why didn't you get a wood stove? Because we've been talking about those forever too. So um, there's also the Princess Auto outdoor stove. Worst case scenario, you have to boil water that's like 58 bucks, I think. And uh, it goes on. It, it's been having supply chain issues as well, but it's usually in a Princess Auto. It's a little round thing. It's meant for outdoor usage. And um, yeah, you can always boil water with that. 
So the last one I wanted to mention, uh, and again, I'll probably catch heat from James on this one too. Uh, it's a CDC and a World Health Organization method that's approved, assuming the water is not dirty. Now it's called the SODIS or solar distillation method. It basically involves a two liter pop bottle and the sun. So you fill the pre-filtered water, not, not murky or turbid water or anything else, just clean water into a bottle, throw it up on your roof in direct sunlight. And as long as you've left it up there for, I think it says anywhere, depending on the, 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 guess the latitude that you're at, it says up to, but up to 12 hours is fine, but you know, less if you're in Africa, uh, stuff like that. And basically the, the heat and the UV from the sun will kill most bugs are going to cause problems in that water just by being directly exposed to the sunlight. As long as the plastic bottle is clear, not opaque. So that's the cheapest way I can think to do it. That's everything. No, sounds good. All right. Cool. Uh, does anybody else have any stuff they want to talk about before we move on to the, uh, the, the life star on Sawyer thing that I was going to make fun of Eric with? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just, I just, was was kind of going to say I put it down a little bit further, but it, it I can bring it up now. It doesn't matter. Um, thinking more along the like I say that the crap hits the fan scenario, or you know you your vehicle breaks down or something, you've got to get home. You're walking. Um, know your source of water. Um, moving streams are better than uh, stagnant ponds. Um, of course, that being said, I mean. If you're at the bottom of a hill and there's a little stream running down there and it looks clean and you put it in your your jar or your glass and you drink it and you go on your merry way and you get to the top of a hill and realize you're downstream from a dairy farm, uh, that's not going to work out very well for you. So, um, you know, try to know your uh, know your your water source as best you can. Well, it's true because I mean, like uh, Lake Simcoe, for example, has the infestation of zebra mussels, which makes the water delightfully clear. Um, but the problem is, is then you get downstream to a place like the Holland Marsh when you're crossing the 400 there, and that's like agricultural runoff central, and you're going to have like yeah manure problems and fertilizer issues, everything else. And same thing if you're down downstream from the steel mill in Hamilton, <laughs> there's going to be some yeah. some nasties in the water. So yeah, for sure, just just give a second thought to your uh, your water source as well. That's definitely a thing. I did um, enjoy Mike's story of uh, filling his water and then 500 meters later finding the giant dead bloated elk in the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's see here. Uh, so James mentioned SOTUS is super great and sustainable. Remember, though, studies are all done in African sun. Like I said, it depends on the latitude. So a lot of times they'll mention that, yeah, it's good after 12 hours. Well, maybe that is the case if it's in deepest, darkest Africa during the middle of summer. So might want to be a little extra conservative on our end, especially if it's uh, in like a um, place like Calgary, you're having to do it in your, in your kitchen window. It's not going to work nearly as well. It might be take days to make, to make the same effect. I would just go with boiling at that point, but anyway, but it's, it's good for people with, with like low income areas or like if you're running out of supplies and all you have is, you know, bottles you found on the side of the road, it is a thing. So, um, Okay, so I've been ragging on Eric for like 159 episodes about Lifestraws. So I, I tried my best to actually say nice, positive things about Lifestraws here, and he didn't show up for the episode. <laughs> so I'll do it anyway. But anyway, uh, so the, the big thing with preppers is two 
portable water systems that guys talk about a lot, Sawyers and Life Straws. So they both have the positives and negatives, and I just thought we'd talk about them briefly because other than just ragging on Eric, it's, which is always fun, but we haven't really gone into what the deal is. So Life Straw is, first off, cheaper than a Sawyer, which is great. Uh, 20 bucks seems to be the going rate, depends on you know where you get them and who from. But they're everywhere. So even Cabela's has them in a big bin as you walk in. Uh, Canadian Tire carries them. I think my sister-in-law got me a pair of, of Life Straws for her, birth, or her Christmas gift, which I had to giggle about. I sent Eric a picture right off the bat. And um, yeah, so they are super easy to use. Like literally all you got to do the, is... Uh, one, of, oh. one, of the, one of the friends of mine, get he buys bottled water from the Water Depot. I don't know if you've heard the company. And yeah. apparently they sell Life Straws in their stores. Yeah. And so, like, super easy to use. Like, all literally, you got to do is just stick it in the water and suck. Okay, it doesn't get easier than that, right? Um, less prone to freezing because generally there's not water sitting in the filter. Um, so, yeah, pretty good. And you can, you know, for twenty bucks a pop, you can throw one in the bug out bag, you can throw one in the car, you can throw one in your desk if you need to or whatever. Uh, negatives with the life straws. Um, yeah, they're like I said, they're maybe about, a little bit longer than a pen about an inch across and um, basically just have like a sippy cup end on one end and then you just stick the other end to the, the membrane in the water. And it was, if you are sitting there in a bug out situation or an off-grid situation, you have to bend over the puddle that you're drinking from and just start sucking. So your only option really is on demand unless you have like some sort of an open cup you can pour the water and carry it around and then when you want to, you can suck it out of that cup or whatever. But if you have to wait till you come across a water source before you actually um, suck through the filter, um, it has to filter and disinfect at once. So that's, uh, that's a bit of a problem as well. So it's not going to be nearly as good. Um, because if the water is really, really turbid or really, really disease ridden, then it might not do as good of a job. I don't think the, the micron count is as good as the Sawyer. Um, the other thing is with the Lifestar is they're meant to be like a one and done or like kind of a disposable item more so than the Sawyer. You can't backwash them at all. Um, so the nice thing about the Sawyer is that you can extend the life by backwashing them or the, was it the plat gravity works platypus thing? You can backwash them anyway. So obviously a much shorter filter life than the Sawyer. And even I think their advertisement is only like a thousand gallons or something like that tops, which is, I think is in the most, I guess, ideal situation possible versus like swamp water. Pretty clean water to, to start with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Sawyer, they come in, a bunch of different sizes, but a lot of people focus on the Sawyer Mini, which causes there's a micro, there's a Sawyer Max. I don't know what the big one's called, anyways. But the Sawyer Mini is the one that everybody uses. They're about thirty two bucks a piece. Uh, they were, anyways. I have no idea what they go for now. Uh, positives with those things, they can be used inline in a hydration pack, like that's that platypus thing. So if you have like a you know a, a backpack with a hydration pack in it that has a line out that you normally you would suck through, you could put it inline in that and it is just carry on and yeah, works great. Uh, you could do the IV drip formation where you have like a bottle of water. It has a nice uh, attachment of the Sawyer Mini that um, basically has common threading for two liter pop bottles and stuff. You could hang a two liter pop bottle upside down, full of dirty water, set up as an IV drip through the Sawyer and have it emptying into something below it, gravity fed, works great like a mini Berkey. Um, so for the size and weight of it, it's way more effective, does a better job, higher filter efficacy and... Uh, I think it's rated for a hundred thousand gallons. So again, perfect situation, but like a lot longer life than lifestyle. Yeah. So lifestyle is really just basically your, your last, uh, last resort, throw it in your bag just in case. 
Yeah, the idea, like if you're trying to stay dry and the, you have to bend over the edge of a right. creek <laughs> and you're you're getting your chest wet because you need to suck water out of a stream, that doesn't really appeal to yeah. me at all. Yeah. Um, the nice thing well, about the, the Sawyer too, before it goes, you know, shoving water into your mouth, you have the option, if you do that IV drip formation or whatever, you have the, the yeah. option to throw a couple drops of bleach in that water just to make sure before you shove it down your gullet. So that's a good thing. <clears throat> Somebody had something there? Oh, okay. Uh, negatives for the Sawyer, uh, they are pricier. So almost double the cost of a, of a life straw. And I have no idea what the new, new price is lately. Uh, they are very much harder to find. So the only place I was able to find them in Canada was on Amazon. Or I don't even think Rapid Survival carries them, do they? But uh, <laughs> I don't even think I don't even think Bryden carries them or anybody else. Um, but down in the States, I think even Walmart sells them. Like they're, they're everywhere down in the States if you can get across the border um, on a shopping trip or wherever. A um, little more finicky. So yeah, you have to practice using them, maybe get some PVC piping to do that IV drip thing. Or if you, uh, you can actually use it as a squeeze uh, technique where you actually fill up the pre-supplied bag that comes with the filter, squeeze it through the filter into another, and into another hose into like your drinking bottle. So you have to actually like test your gear and, and give it a try. Um, because the innards of the Sawyer is a much tighter weave than the life straw, which is almost just like, it looks like a, a life straw looks like a, I guess a bunch of hair hanging down. Whereas the uh, inside of a Sawyer, it looks more like highly compressed cotton. So you can imagine that the Sawyer is going to freeze up mold up and, and have more problems by sitting. So if you use it, you have to make sure it's dry before you put it away. Um, and if you are putting one in a bag, there's like yellow, pipe caps that are PVC tubing caps. Uh, I think they're three eighths of an inch and they go right on the end. So you can just keep it dry by doing that. So there's that. Um, that's pretty much it. I mentioned the Berkey sport before, but uh, I, I said it was for hipsters, but it does work. So um, and I do have one, so I guess that, I don't know what that makes me, but um, yeah. So the hipster? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> gotta get a neck well, I guess I'm a hipster without knowing it. So yeah, I gotta get a neck beard or something. But um, the other thing I was gonna mention too. So if all this fails, emodium, you should probably have some in your preps because you know dysentery is a horrible way to go. And I'm not saying keeping it in is a good idea. That your body wants to to get it out of you for a reason. But um, yeah, emodium. Just if you if you need to travel or if you need to do something that requires you not you know running to the bathroom every 13 seconds, maybe it's not a bad idea to have it in your preps. Scott's going to tell me I'm wrong. But anyways, uh, <laughs> somebody else mentioned Pepto-Bismol. Uh, so that's a good idea. Yeah, so someone smarter than me said start with Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there you go. I mean, like, I'm clearly wrong on that. But I mean, I, again, but it, it might even be a barter item. You never know, right? If somebody else is like, drank the swamp water and he used to stop the process. It's like, you'd always trade it for something else, right? Um, yeah. I, uh, for when I'm, when I'm traveling, actually, I have a modium with me just in case I need to get home. <laughs> so I got to make it through like a, a five, five hour trip or something and then I can just get home and then deal with it when I get home. Just like sometimes you just got to do that. Right. So yeah. anyways, but uh, that's pretty much all I had for water this time. Um, you guys have anything else? Did I not any cover any questions there, Josh? You, you pretty much uh, knocked out everything I had listed. I think you did a great job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as far as test kits that you guys were asking about, I don't well, know. Yeah, it was interesting, like, with the red dye, you mentioned that. But I guess yeah. it's, it's, it's just yeah. afterwards, you know, like, that UV method kind of made me a little nervous, right? It's like, how do you know if that really worked? And you're kind of 
rolling the dice on that a little bit. Well, that's, I guess we just want to read it and see what they have to say and then see if it works for you. Maybe it's just like, you know, if you live in a cloudy area that's cloudy all the time or cold, it's not going to work at all. Right. Um, by same token, the test kits, like the, when I mentioned the red food dye or just running that through the burgie, that's just to see the efficacy of the filter. That right, doesn't right. tell you if there's anything in there. Sure. Um, Scott, would you know of any sort of test kits that would be able to tell if there's a... Um, I mean, the public public health around here, you can take them a sample of your well water and they'll test for E. coli. Um, I don't know if there are any, you know, when I, I can picture that test section at Home Depot where you can get, you know, the radon tests and whatever. I'm not sure if they have water tests in there. Uh, I think a lot of them, you typically take a sample and send it away to a lab for, yeah. uh, for testing at the lab. Yes, yeah, it's not like a blood sugar thing where you're testing for diabetes and you get a urine sample and you yeah, go, I'm just, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just good like, you know, putting in a putting a powder in the bottle, shaking it up, and if it turns color, you're good or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> I think that's it's one of those things where like, yeah, you have to kind of go with what's tried and true and what what you know yeah. works, and yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, we've all kind of drank from that stream once in a while, you know, if you're in the middle of nowhere thinking it's good, but. Yeah, some of us have regretted that. Yeah, some of us regretted that for sure. So, um, uh, people tend to freak out about water, especially early on. Uh, there was a interesting case study in Boston where this uh, old, like, circa Boston Tea Party clay tunnel collapsed. The water supply was safe, but all murky, and everyone freaked out. There's a boil water boil water advisory. Uh, there was no bacterial contamination, but because it was cloudy and the flavor was different all of a sudden, and apparently people were showing up at the hospitals. They're fighting over bottled water in the supermarkets, even though it was actually still pretty good water. Um, you know, it wasn't quite up to the, the standards we expect in the first world, but compared to other parts of the world, it was just fine. Um, and uh, I mean, I think we've reported enough news stories uh, just on this podcast about, sort of water contamination issues going on. So so I think it's certainly worth worth having that skill set, right? Well, yeah, because I think a lot of these these substandard sources that these cities are getting their stuff from, like, for example, when I lived in Barrie, they had five underground aquifers they were drawn from, so that's fine. Uh, but there's a lot of times where, like, up in Courtney, just north of the, on the island here, um, they draw it out of a swamp. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of skunky to begin with. So unless they chlorinate the crap out of it, it's going to be bad. So when they give you the boil water advisory, which they do a lot up there in heavy rainfall, you got to boil it. You got to take care of it because it's not going to be good. Um, around here, they dump raw sewage in the ocean constantly, daily from Vancouver, Victoria, but we're not drinking from there. So that's good. But there are places like, I guess, Lake Ontario, where if there's a power outage or a, a storm surge or something, they will occasionally... <clears throat> dump raw sewage in there and then they draw turn right around and have a big pipeline going from Lake Ontario back into Milton so there is a problem there too right so if the, yep. if the, child, or the water treatment plant is offline then that is a situation even in the first world yeah well and it's interesting around here uh, the water source for us is sort of this one big lake so there's extra regulations to pre protect that, that water supply um, and then the the sewage goes into a different lake. So it's, it's, it's nice all good. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's really interesting when you look at some of the like old timey villages, especially on rivers, the water intake was upstream. The sewage output was downstream, but they wouldn't, you know, have 
had situations where they're infecting the next village downstream. Well, yeah, that's probably, it probably works great for their village, but then the very next village is totally, yeah. totally hooked. That's, that's their yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so you, you want to be at the, at the headwaters. So you don't want well, to, yeah. and I, I'm going to put a trigger warning here. Historically, the medical officer of health has been an incredibly powerful position. And a lot of what they were dealing with was water and sewage um, because you could get your entire city incredibly sick really quickly. And, you know, you just have uh, that cholera, whatever waterborne disease you, you have going on there. And it just grows exponentially. Um, so one of the things that, that we've talked about, I mean, in terms of upstream, downstream, if you're in a, gr a, uh, a grid down situation, protecting your water source is going to be really important. You know, set your out how, you know, so we all have indoor plumbing. Great. That's not working anymore. We have to dig an outhouse, dig it well away from your water source. Like, you know, as far as you can, it doesn't matter if it's inconvenient, dying of dysentery on the Oregon trail is far, far more inconvenient than having to walk further to your outhouse. Well, uh, let, even the rule around here. So like the, the code says hundred feet from your septic field to your water. Well, I even think that's a little tight. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think that's that's an issue of properties just aren't big enough to realistically accommodate both. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, you're dealing with your outhouse, your septic field. If you have dead animals or have to bury your, you know, bury your neighbors, look at uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, you know, pre where are you choosing to do that to keep it well away from your uh, your water source so that there's less less crap to filter out, less to disinfect. Um, you know, you think of medieval times when I was a young lad and they would catapult dead animals over the castle walls to try and introduce disease to the water supplies. So... Yeah. Yeah, or they'd I, send them back over the walls to King Arthur, you know. Shush, <laughs> 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 oh, the um, One of the other things we... we probably should mention here we've been talking about filtration and disinfection it's talking about the biological components it won't necessarily help with your chemical or radiological issues um, correct me if i'm wrong but even the most advanced you know camping system home water filtration the berkey at the <laughs> the british royal palaces um, they can't get out most of the non-biological contaminants um, you know, you look at the fuel contamination up in Iqaluit that we were talking about last year. Um, if there's a poisonous substance in there, it's a much smaller molecule that's going through the filter system with the water molecules rather than realistically, like a biological entity, a bacteria is much, much, much bigger. So that's why it's getting filtered out by those tiny, tiny pores in the coconut husk or whatnot. So, so there, you have your different, sorry, go ahead. Ian. I was going to say like, so oil, I, I haven't tried it cause I want to ruin the filters cause I like them and they're expensive. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the, like you said, the viruses, no problem. And bacteria gets them uh, as far as chemicals. Yes. Except for, for some reason, the coconut can get out the chlorine. Uh, and that's why they, they have chlorine add-ons if you have fluorinated water. But I don't know about actual caustic chemicals, whether or not they'd get those out. I'm assuming they would, but I haven't seen anything good or bad on that. Well, I I don't I don't necessarily know either. Um, but basically, I'm just putting a giant disclaimer. We're talking about getting rid of the biologicals that are 
you know, at causing an infection, something that's going to grow in your, your gut, make you sick. It propagates by making you have diarrhea to spread to everyone else uh, versus toxins, poisons um, that are faster acting. Um, like just anyway, just to differentiate between the two. So uh, we're not necessarily going to be able to make perfect water. Like you said, if you're downstream from someone throwing chemicals uh, into their storm sewer, um, that won't necessarily uh, help out a whole lot. Um, jumping back to my earlier points, uh, the water filter that I love for camping is the Platypus Gravity Works filter. Um, they have them at uh, Mount Equipment Co-op. Um, I'm not sure where else they carry them. That was just the first website I knew I could check to find them. So, is Mount Equipment Co-op still in business? I thought they were. Uh, I thought they got bought out or something, or they they shut down. Um, I think they got bought out, but I believe they're still up and running. Their website right. is anyway. So, um, anyway, it is a uh, sort of an IV gravity fed kind of system. So you can sort of hoist the bag and it does all the work for you and you don't uh, have to work up a sweat pumping an old school filter. So cool. Yeah. That answers one of my questions too, because that's what we we're thinking about when we go camping, you know, you, you've got a lot of water sources at a campground, but not sources you'd necessarily want to drink. <laughs> and so that would be handy to set up in a tree and go for it. Oh, and I mean, it, it's great because because you're not sort of <laughs> working up a sweat to make water, yeah, it's a whole lot easier to just make a lot of it. And you've got lots of clean water for dishes. You have lots of clean water to fill everyone's Nalgene bottles. And yeah. um, so that's that's one that I like, and it's part of my uh, – I mean, obviously, all of what's my camping the, gear is part of my preps. <laughs> what's the price point on something like that? Um, currently on the MEC website, the 4-liter kit, uh, it's about 155 bucks. So it's not cheap. Um, they're a little bit fragile. It's uh, a, I want to say carbon nanotubes uh, inside. So you can't let it freeze. Um, you, it, it will sort of never dry. So it can't ever freeze once uh, once it's been put in service. Um, and you just have to be, you know, they're a little, they don't like to be banged around. So just be gentle with them. Yeah. Cool. So you're selling me more of the Sawyer again. <laughs> well, apparently they're, they're, they're cheap and tough actually they're actually surprisingly resilient they're like pretty thick plastic and yeah they're also be tiny so that's good uh well i guess that's it podcast shelves time yeah no thank you very much for sharing all that information with us i know we had you know different thought processes and didn't know where to start so like i i know growing up like when I went to my cottage, we couldn't drink the water there. So we'd either get water from the spring or bring jugs. So to me, it seems silly to go and buy jugs because what if in a situation where you can't go and buy anything, right? So what do you do? And um, uh, learning a little bit more on the survival course that we took with the kids, it was like, oh, well, we could filter our own water, but what, like, what filtration systems can we trust? I think a question we had was, was there any red flag, definite buyer beware situations. I was always told kind of like, you know, Amazon can be a great tool, but at the same time, you don't know necessarily what you're getting. So from what I understood, there was only two or three major companies that did uh, the, the uh, really good purification systems. So uh, I can't recall the names of them at the moment, but I do know. So, so Berkey was one of the brands 
but there was like a, a was it called Samson? Mm-hmm. I think it was that the gentleman mentioned. So they're like, yeah, if like usually they take this filter and put it into different products, like whether it's a, a water bottle or something like that. So have you guys come across a product where you were like, no, not at all. Don't do it. It's a scam or it's, it's not good. So not really so far. I mean, Berkey's kind of a, they don't just let anybody sell them either. So yeah, I think, Eric sells the filters, but I don't think he sells the actual Berkey machines, uh, like the, okay. the actual uh, buckets. But like Conscious Water, which I think is over in Midland, Ontario, I think they sell it. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I think we originally got the Berkey Berkey buckets from. But yeah, I mean, generally, there's there's very there's very few scams as far as water purification. It's just not something that people really hunt down regularly. So it's not worth the, the squeeze for a lot of these scammers to yeah. to pursue, you know, screw people over on water filtration. So okay. Just, just curious about it because I'm sure that Amazon will come up with a, a product that is like a, a, like a copyright infringement of some sort of a, a, a style. You know what I mean? So as long as it does the job, I don't care. But I'm, I'm willing to pay the price for quality. Just don't buy and wish. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it's don't buy the wish.com version. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, like Berkey, yeah, you will god they're not cheap to start but i mean yeah. it's a lifetime thing just like the rascals right like you'll you'll buy them you'll never sell it and you'll because once mm-hmm. you use it you're kind of hooked and then it's just a matter of the, the filters don't get changed out that often so yeah okay, I, cool. I don't i don't know if eric sells the whole kit he used to and i was going to purchase one but as you say they're not cheap and at that time there was other other things that were more important at the time so yeah um i don't know if he Maybe does them if you want one, he'll order one for you. I don't know if he has them in stock or not, actually. Gotcha. Yeah. So. All right, Jeff, should we get out of podcast challenge? Sure. So basically, um, like Ian said way, way back near the beginning of the show, you really can only go three days without water. So a lot of times we ignore water when it's actually pretty significantly important. Um, so revisit your boring water preps. Um, find or even build or have something that is uh, cheap and easy to work with or to remedy, but usually ignored. So, you know, what what do you have? What is your what is your uh, idea for a backup way to purify your water? Revisit it. Look at it. Uh, upcoming events, Josh? Well, uh, maybe if you go to uh, mapleseedrifleman.com, you can see a list of events that have been posted from Mapleseed. Um, I know I've been getting emails every week or so now with all the recent events coming out. Uh, I think there's one actually in our area. Again, we went to the one in uh, uh, Warren Field here in Ontario. That was an mm-hmm. excellent course. Um, Kelly actually was at that one. It was a great time. Uh, lots of instruction. Make sure you bring lots of water. <laughs> that was, <laughs> Prepare for the weather. Yeah. That's for yeah. sure. Cause you know, everyone said, Oh, it's awful when it rains or, Oh, it's awful when it snows. Let me tell you the scorching heat doesn't help you yeah. either. And that is where water was very necessary. So anybody, anybody thinking about learning uh, some marksmanship skills, uh, basically just a, a 22 at 25 yards, you learn all the basics and uh, it's a great day of instruction. So take a look at that link. Cool. Uh, Resul, the uh, Finnish Reserve uh, March, I guess, is being held May 26th to 29th. Uh, there's a link in the show notes at resul4daymarch.fi. 
Um, if you are going, interested in doing the residual march, which basically just amounts to 10 kilometer hikes, four days in a row as a minimum, uh, join uh, our team, which is called Team Ragnarok. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, uh, we came in third, I think, worldwide last year. So did well. So more people on the team, the better. Yeah, for a civilian for a civilian team, that was amazing. That was that awesome. Canada. Yeah. Well, we uh, had a team too, though, didn't we? Yeah, three people. We four did. People on it. Three people. I think we're. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just join Ragnarok this year. Sure. Sure. <laughs> okay. All right, Jeff, you got one. Yeah, the uh, annual preppers meet is coming up in Desboro, Ontario, uh, first weekend in July, uh, July seventh to tenth. Um, if you want to check it out, the website uh, is in the show notes. It's just www.annualpreppersmeet.com. I believe tickets are on sale now. I think the early uh, early tickets went on sale the 1st of May today. So you can uh, pick up some tickets if you're interested, if you want to have a look and see what they've got. I personally haven't been there. I know Eric's been there. Um, I would like to go this year. We'll... We'll see what happens. There is a conflict with a couple of the days, but uh, I would like to get out and have a look at it. Cool. Yeah, we'll see if we can give it a try too. Uh, deal of the week. Uh, I found some Magnum. Cool name. Utility crates, which is like a massive poly ammo can on sale at Cabela's. Uh, flat dark earth color, and they're on for 25 bucks versus 40 bucks, And they're good for holding like radio equipment and light ammunition or anyways like uh, range tools toys everything else they're just a nice size they come with a like an sks crate for sks ammo but it's plastic and it's uh just a nice size they're stackable and everything else so links in the show notes um i guess with that we're going to bring episode 159 of the Canadian purple podcast to an end you can find the podcast on itunes podbean spotify or your favorite podcast app please help us out submit a review it helps other people find us and uh, I forgot to assign that. I'll do it. Go for it. <laughs> so uh, we record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we're going live. If you want to contact me, you can just uh, reach me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, that email address also works for me. Cool. All right. Well, uh, ladies and gents, thank you for uh, having us on your show. Uh, so just so that everyone knows, we may have mentioned before that Josh and I are both on a podcast as well. We are amateur podcasters with New Shooter Canada. It is one of the oldest podcasts in Canada. Uh, we have two experienced shooter panelists along with ourselves to discuss a variety of different topics along um in regards to our gun community and we briefly talk about uh accessories and tools and skill sets that come in handy what come along with it so uh we don't record live like you guys do so this has been a a nice uh a change of pace but uh we typically have a show up every two weeks so find us at uh www.newshootercanada.ca you can also find us on facebook and on Instagram, or you can email us at host at newshootercanada.ca. So again, thank you very much for having us on. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you. That's been great. Yeah. All right. Well, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theadamsretreat at gmail.com. You can also find my Canadian Patriot podcast on iTunes and YouTube. We record Monday evenings at, uh, I guess, 8.45 now, Easterners, 8.30 can't remember anymore uh i'm also the discord chat for both cpps so email us if you want to invite uh there you can find us discussing why government waste in society has me fixating on not shitting myself to death 
(laughs) (laughs) Which is always good. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning.